Visit patreon.com slash consensus on reality for exclusive episodes and content. Welcome to episode 25 of Consensus Unreality. Uh, this is the the big one. The final episode of uh, season one. Yeah. Which is, you know, it totally matters. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, this is the, the end, the culmination of our inaugural season of Consensus Unreality. It's been... A little under a year. I think what we started yeah. in probably the end of June or the beginning of July. Yeah, I think so. And we just kind of thought 25 was a good number to, yeah. um, you know, symbolically start another season and maybe sort of, um, you know, take some take a couple weeks off of the mains to uh, right to you know recalibrate and think about you know what kind of new directions we want to go in um i will take a moment and say that we should direct you to the patreon which is patreon.com slash consensus unreality uh we will not be taking a break there in fact we'll be doing some exclusive episodes and we will also be doing some video and um written content which is kind of building off of this um, uh, composite ritual that we've been working towards and um, I guess brainstorming on the Patreon yeah. a lot. And um, we've, we've, we've kind of like took the first steps in building what we'll call uh, maybe incantations um, <laughs> yeah. through, through a process, um, a creative randomized process. Um, and we're going to talk more about that on the Patreon. We're going to um, post the this written incantation or um, directions that we've created. Um, we're going to analyze it a bit. We'll do a little studio tour um, because we haven't yeah. really gotten to use the studio too much yet um, because of COVID. Um, right. Now that uh, vaccinations are around and whatnot um we're feeling more yeah, comfortable fully to, vaxxed now yeah feeling more comfortable uh, to get back there yeah you know unless unless they uh invent a new one at the covid factory <laughs> oh my God. Uh, um just kidding that's not not the official position yeah of the podcast and um <laughs> Next week, we will also be doing some really spooky shit on the Patreon from Ben's haunted uh, oh, yeah. beach stay that he is going to to uh, write for a bit, um, the old family haunt, right? Yeah, just a cool old beach house that's been in the family for a long time <laughs> that somehow we have managed to keep even though it, yeah, it's, it's kind of a burden on the back of this larger uh, family, but it's still, it's a really cool place. And once in a while I'll get a week there when we're not renting it out. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. So we're, what are we going to do there, Ben? I guess we'll have some, uh, 
Well, I just got a, what do you call it? A EMF. Yeah. A detector, a little handheld one, a staple of any good ghost hunting team. Uh, you got that strange sort of uh, EVP diode. Yeah, I got a uh, Radiv diode um, of the one of the originators of electronic voice phenomena. And this one acts in a different way than um, how people traditionally use electronic voice phenomena. So we're going to do some um, quote-unquote paranormal investigations. I think we might also be doing a Ouija session. Yeah, Um, I mean, I have a... I've been keeping a Ouija board sort of on the back window of my car for the past five years uh, so that I was trying to charge it with solar energy. Mm-hmm. So we could maybe use a solar Ouija board now, see what the solar Christ has to say. Yeah. And Just I- kidding. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, we could, but yeah, I haven't touched that thing for forever. And um, um, of course, we're going to be exploring these things in our own way um trying to also utilize some strange algorithmic apps and processes and think about how we can um inject some uh some processes from the year 2021 in there so this is stuff that we'll be doing on the patreon yeah um for the next little bit of time and then we should be starting up season two in a couple weeks um, to a month, uh, we'll be back yep. on the mains um, with our normal interviews and all that jazz on, uh, you know, all the the main sites. But definitely check out that Patreon if you're interested in what we do and um, you're thinking about a way to support us. That is definitely it. Um, and we are definitely trying to focus some unique uh, and exclusive content there. And really, I think we're getting into some of the the wilder stuff, <laughs> which is kind of funny to say yeah. because we're already talking about some wacky shit. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be going to be fun over there. Uh, yeah, so that's our, our promo, yeah. patreon.com slash consensus on reality. Check it out. It's only $5 a month, the price of a latte. Um so <laughs> yeah. skip, skip one latte and, and join up on our Patreon. Um, and promo, um, we're... Yeah, let's get into it. We're gathered here today to um, <laughs> gather here in the in virtual space. Um, I think our subject of this episode would probably appreciate that. Right. Yeah. We're talking um, about John C. Lilly. Not exclusively, right. but... Uh, Not exclusively, but circling. we're going to talk about like the yeah the the Lily Network, I guess, sort of the the Lily Nexus. Yeah, he casts a, casts a very wide net, um, into which dolphins sometimes get right, caught into. Yeah. You know, I guess yeah. The first thing that people think of when you mention Lily is, well, depending on their frame of reference, either flotation isolation tanks or fucking around with dolphins yep. and yeah. try and like, yeah, uh, there, there's a documentary recently, uh, with a girl who loved dolphins or something <laughs> like that. Right. Uh, it's a BBC doc. I, I watched it. Um, yeah, me too. And I believe it's called the woman who spoke to dolphins. Maybe <laughs> the girl with a dolphin tattoo. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
And that, that was pretty interesting um, and kind of tragic too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't know the story. Um, but yeah, that's all about uh, John C. Lilly's. Uh, it's kind of, I guess it's like midway through his career, really, when he starts getting into this like dolphin world. Um, it's weird because it's uh, in terms of years, it's, you know, it's really just after the first kind of stuff that he does. Um, and it just seems like after the dolphin stuff, there was a really more like slow evolving process of, of what he was working on, which was like, you know, this consciousness, uh, exploration. Right. I got really deep into the sort of conspiratorial angle of Lily and more, more of the people he surrounded himself with for a time that he's kind of a tricky, tricky one. Cause he's like, there's some, you know, there's some fucking MK ultra shit in his, uh in his work but i feel like he also kind of like somehow well who who knows but it seems like he might have kind of stepped away from it at a certain point and moved into this you know chasing this this uh stranger kind of dualistic uh mythology that he begins building up later right which which um essentially made him a pariah in the Right. fields in which he he originally established himself um but like totally. you mentioned uh his early work um was heavily funded by uh the united states military and then the united states navy right. um i'm sure that intelligence was privy of what he was doing apparently uh j edgar hoover knew him by name and was aware of the work that he was doing um Right. I think to uh, contextualize the era in which we're speaking about, because um, some of the the work that he did initially is 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 pretty uh, it's pretty gritty. Um, right, like brain term, mapping stuff. Well, in terms of like treatment of animals and stuff. Yeah, um, right. And, uh, and monkeys. Yeah, um, and then and then dolphins too. Um, right. But it it's kind of like it's weird because him having those experiences um, led to people's awareness of dolphins being these very intelligent um, creatures and, you know, totally. him advocating for protection of oceans and uh, these creatures. So it's, it's really like yeah, a yeah. pretty checkered story. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was working on stuff that, so, so I, I one of the main things I read for this episode research wise was uh, an essay by an academic called Charlie Williams uh, in London. And it's called uh, on modified human agents, John Lilly and the paranoid style in American neuroscience. And that is freely available to, I think most people as an academic paper. I think you can just find it with Google, but, and I, I think that's like actually kind of a, really strong summation of this because it gets into the what what you were saying like the uh what's the word like it's not um it's not like clean cut like what you know it's not well defined what uh yeah willie's role was like he wasn't this like you know like amoral spy or like this terrible scientist who was like experimenting on animals he was he was also like someone who stepped away from this when he felt that it was going to be used for 
malicious purposes, but he was also someone who wrote um, an essay or, you know, a publication about how this can be applied to humans, um, Mm -hmm. especially in terms of isolation, which this person, this writer connects to the work of uh, uh, Ewan Cameron, uh, who is, you know, obviously famous for MK Ultra stuff and psychic driving and yeah like kind of very, torture basically right there's very heavy threads to mk ultra um uh, essentially like for a period of time john c Lilly and jolly on west were or jolly and wilson or jolly and west why do i always west, fuck yeah. up jolly west name? yeah uh jolly and west were like colleagues you know right and they were heavily inspired by each other's research i would say more that uh, Jolly West was inspired by what John Lilly was doing and took that totally. and run. And if you don't know who Jolly West is, he is like the inherit, like the second, um, the prince of MK Ultra, essentially in terms of like right. the psychology yeah. of it. Um, he killed an elephant when he was like injecting <laughs> it with acid. Uh, but essentially, John Lilly says that they killed the elephant um, with the wrong dosage of the tranquilizer, which they were using. Huh. Um, and I guess they injected elephants with lsd and they didn't die i digress uh jolly west is also <laughs> yeah. like he psych- he shows up everywhere yeah he examined uh jack ruby and jack ruby came out insane afterwards anyway there's a there's a connection with uh shit what's his name the oklahoma city guy uh oh uh mcveigh yeah 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 there's a mcveigh connection uh yeah. so yeah that guy's all over the place but you know, another connection, which maybe we'll get into deeper in this episode is, uh, Bateson, Gregory Bateson, mm-hmm. um, who is, and he, you know, like officially, there's no, uh, denying it worked with the OSS yeah. and developed programs of psychological warfare, more or less. Um, and he was, you know, the guy who was basically in charge of Lily's, uh, dolphin house in the on an island, uh, Bateson was kind of, you know, Lily was obviously in charge of the science, but Bateson was uh, a huge figure there. Um, so let's um, let's roll it back a little bit before we get too yeah, deep. Yeah. Um, John Lilly, people probably were introduced to him through um, the dolphin research, um, mm-hmm. but also Altered States is essentially based on him. The That's film. right. Yeah. Um, Day of the Dolphin is a, a little bit of a rare one. Um, John Lilly was also like a consultant on Flipper. He's like thanked in the credits of Flipper. Apparently the the wife of the director of Flipper is who first um, gave him acid. And that's the first time he tried right. it. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, John Lilly also was an advocate for ketamine. Um, he's probably yeah, yeah. known as like a psychonaut to a lot of people. And um, And I I guess his most famous like ketamine trip is the one where he makes contact with these two uh, potential courses that humanity can take. Right. Mm -hmm. And we'll get there. Uh, We'll get there. Yeah. Right. But yeah, that was all just to say that's a ketamine. uh, Yeah. That's the ketamine connection. (laughs) And then I I think the last thing, which is kind of a new pop culture, um, phenomena is that is that the backs well like a, a pop culture realization i should say is that the backstory of the sega genesis game echo the dolphin mm. um is 
essentially based on this whole this series of um, trips that John Lilly had in the sensory deprivation tank. Oh, and that's the other right. thing, the sensory deprivation tank. Yeah, that's probably the biggest thing because you can still mm-hmm. do that. That's like very popular still today. Mm-hmm. And that was, I don't think he, he essentially in, um, repurposed it for, um, for uh, this like consciousness exploration um, right. I think it was originally there was one that was in like a military lab that he had access to, or at like Har- one of one of those schools out there. Um, anyway, it was I think it was originally for high altitude pilots, like simulating mm. that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he did a lot of his early work is about uh, pilots. He was doing a lot for the, I guess it was the Navy at that point, maybe or the Army, but. That's how he knew about it because he was he was right. like doing all these different um, tests was, for high altitude. About? High altitude. Uh, high altitude. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But like uh, how it affects the brain, like kind of a mm-hmm. yeah, which is super interesting. Um, right. And that's how he kind of broke into the whole military thing because before that he was more of a research scientist type guy, I guess. Yeah, and I mean that's kind of the when he first breaks out. Um, it's assumed that he came from probably a pretty wealthy family. Um, and I think that his father wanted him to be, to be a banker, but he wanted to be a scientist. So yeah, his father came around and let him um, finally just accepted that that's what he was going to do. Um, that high altitude research is kind of the first breakout for him. And I think that the implications of that research really led to a lot of like torture stuff um, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think uh, anything that these scientists do under the purview of the military kind of ends up last stop on that train is uh is torture not even the last like the next stop <laughs> the next stop yeah. yeah yeah next stop torture yeah it all ends up being like all, all these like like intelligence guys are like yeah well how can we apply this so that we can make our enemies do what we want without them knowing mm-hmm. and it's of course like the uh the era of cold war paranoia right um so it's kind of like well you know they've got the bomb too now so um yeah. we have to do whatever it takes and that really brought some psycho shit out of it um, did our our good nation here. But, um, I think the, the results of the testing of high altitude research, um, in terms of like sleep deprivation, oxygen deprivation, all that stuff was kind of back cataloged and stored for ways to extract information from people. Mm -hmm. Um, but in terms of Lily, I think he realized, uh, that you could, begin to um uh in like insert electrodes and stuff into the brain and be able to map these responses so a lot of his research comes from the pavlovian um pleasure versus pain response systems and that's kind of the next tier for him um yeah he ends up there like trying to yeah use these implants to like evoke you know, desire for sex or the feeling of fear, all these different, um, straight, you know, all these, what do you call them? Like, uh, core kind of human emotions. 
yeah, yeah, he's well, the response systems, um, right? He's putting, uh, I guess he started with those monkeys, macaque monkeys, mm-hmm. um, macaque, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's it's grisly stuff, but it's also par for the course of science, you know, like vivisection was still an issue like a like a debate when he was coming up so right right um, i mean and, yeah you know they kind of brush it under the rug but they're still doing that today like yeah you have to understand like the 1950s was the time of the lobotomobile when right. that doctor was driving around the country giving people lobotomies by putting an ice pick through the their eye and going into their frontal lobe and basically just scraping away yeah. And he was like touring almost like a snake oil salesman used to. And it was like a massive thing. So that's kind of the era that we're talking about. Um, what happens when you get lobotomized? You just end up like, you, you just like don't do anything anymore? Um, well, yeah, your free will is essentially in your frontal lobe, right? Right. So, that's so terrifying. Yeah. And then uh, you just keep the the lizard brain and the, uh, the rest of yeah. the... Um, the the hardware in the back um and i think that's one thing i i really to make a transition out of that conversation one thing i really like about lily's work is that i think he recognized early on that there is this analogy that could be made between the brain and a computer um and i think that a lot of positive does come out of this um uh, we can t- we're going to tie it into like Timothy Leary's work, um, but also right. like there's kind of a lot of developments of behavioral psychology here, and I think what Lily's beginning to do in his work is recognize that you are born with these psychological programs that are reinforced, reinforced through routine, um, through these like looping actions that we're doing, and um, if you realize this, there are ways that you can reprogram your brain because your brain is essentially the hardware and your mind quote unquote is the software is what he said Uh, famously. Right. Yeah. And that's the, the book, uh, programming and metaprogramming the human biocomputer. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's funny because you're like, you're, you're kind of giving this optimistic side and then I'm sitting over here and I'm thinking like, well, if we're all computers, blah, blah, you know? So of course, Ever the pessimist, I'll have my own thoughts on that. But well, I think it's more. There com- is, yeah. It's not, there's a good, it's not that simple. I think it's just like understanding the actual circuitry of the brain and these these response systems he exploited very right. soon within the monkeys. What we're talking about is um, a series of experiments where, to get to the short of it, he was essentially giving this monkey a button to which it could orgasm when it hit the button. Right. Um, and then he would take the button away and then he would give him the button and, you know, then like sticking food in the middle of the experiment. Um, and at a certain point they just wouldn't eat. They just hit them at the, the fucking, uh, orgasm button all day, you know, totally. And they wouldn't interact yeah. with other monkeys. Um, <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. And this is what, you know, the people who are making phone apps know, um, and right. people who make casinos, they, they all know how to, um, tap into your Pavlovian sure. response systems. I think it has a lot to do with kind of, uh, well, so 
neuro-linguistic programming type stuff. That's not quite as much with the apps, but I think it's a similar route to the mind. Um, and M NLP almost directly came out of Gregory Bateson again. Mm -hmm. uh, like those, the two NLP founders were disciples of, of Bateson and his, and his circle. Um, so, I mean, yeah, like it's crazy because Lily is kind of remembered and I think rightfully is this kind of fringy weirdo genius who came up with all these like probably like like you know these interesting ways to tap into like well you know the, the human potential it's the human potential movement sort of is what he's a part of um mm -hmm. but then there's always this like <laughs> underbelly of like intelligence applications and the pushing of uh these countercultural uh psychedelic narratives for nefarious purposes so it's always this like uh it's not a dualism because they're so mixed together but there's always the underbelly yeah i mean i think the real distinction is that um lily is brilliant like he's brilliant and he maintained articulate brilliance um until until the end of his life essentially oh yeah and this, not, yeah, some kind of genius. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, like, not just like a a creative genius, you know, like a a strange yeah. guy with some strange ideas. Like he was actually extremely intelligent, and yeah, and I say that he maintained this articulation of intelligence, which is impressive because of, um, you know, the claims about the adverse effects of drugs. Because Lily did more drugs, and than anybody in human yeah. history probably you know? right um like it except was, some yeah right I, except like I a think, vice news reporter yeah i don't i don't maybe no man. he's probably he he was doing a lot of drugs if you take his his word for it like in center of the cyclone his autobiography which is i haven't read the whole thing but like over the years i've you know oh, referenced that, it and yeah, it's great it's an awesome book um yeah. i just yeah he's like uh he was really playing fast and loose with his own mind. Mm -hmm. And he, um, he basically um, adhered to this medical principle was that um, you shouldn't experiment on other people unless you do it to yourself. Right. Um, and I think he, yeah, I'm not going to say he, he held that with the animals, obviously, but um he did do it for people at least. And like, there's some pretty, pretty wild stories in uh center of the cyclone about dosage levels and him yeah. essentially like treating himself. Um, and it's, I think, it, yeah, it's really interesting. I was kind of thinking about what Lily stuff I would recommend, um, to anyone who wants to yeah. like jump in. Um, I think center center of the cyclone really is like that's a great starting point. It gives a great background of how insane this guy's life was and just how smart right. and like really just like brave um he was uh and and relentless in his quest to yeah, you know um explore um, re regions of uh, vast regions of consciousness like right. Um um and he's also like a, a great prose stylist, which is not always the case with the, like, uh, I just like, he's just like a innovative writer, which I always love. Uh, 
you know, obviously the ideas are the main thing, but mm-hmm. yeah, he has like an openness to his writing that allows these things to come through more strongly than they might with like a, a pulpier like writer like uh, Anton Wilson or like he just like has this kind of experimental edge to the writing. Um, they're not. They're yeah. not. Yeah, they're not. The, they're not quite the same. I mean, no, um, they're yeah, very different people. Yeah. But the dolphin books are also pretty good. Yeah. Um, but those are more. You don't get quite as much of like Lily himself in those, mm-hmm. which is why I think the autobiographical stuff is. Yeah, I haven't read the Scientist, which is his memoir type thing, um, other than Center of the Cyclone. But that's something I've been keeping my eye out for. Um. Programming and metaprogramming the human biocomputer is also really good. Um, right. That's kind of more the psychology aspects that we were talking about and, and how to um, hack your uh, your psychological programming, you know, and um, sort right. of break these habitual loops that you might get into. I mean, like even there's one anecdote in um one of the books and he's talking about quitting smoking cigarettes and just like the process to which he created this this mantra for himself to quit smoking cigarettes and it was really interesting just mm-hmm. detaching like the uh the reinforced um processes that you're performing when smoking a cigarette and then um detaching the results of what occurs when you actually smoke a cigarette and then he would go through the 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 um he would go through it in his head of like opening up a pack of cigarettes, taking out a cigarette, and then like doing it over and over until it like was just he could see and feel that it, he didn't need it anymore. Right. Just like a a very like strong mental framework. Um, it's it's yeah. really interesting. I mean, that's just one example. Um, that, but that's like a personal anecdote I found interesting. Yeah. Yeah, he's. Yeah, he's something else. Um, and he, uh, another kind of person that came up in our research sort of tangentially was uh, Franklin Merrill Wolf, uh, mm-hmm. who has a book, uh, Pathways Through Space, Pathways Through to Space, yep. which is like a, a journal of his, uh, his sort of enlightenment. Um, and so uh, Lily kind of like tracked this guy down and found his like, mountain ashram kind of like spot and so this guy was you know a, a teacher he had like sort of a private sort of student following of like you know seekers and he was influenced a lot by like vedanta and some uh hindu sort of currents and this is a book that's like it's, it's one of those uh and i really recommend it but yeah it's one of those books that it takes like a long time to read. Like I'm still working through it, but it's like, so like absurdly rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. he has lectures too, that you can listen to. Yeah. The, the video content on YouTube is really, really beautiful too. Um, yeah. And that's, that's kind of an interesting, interesting thing because uh, Lily would, it seems like he would look, to these different, um, I don't want to say gurus, but these different like teachers, um, in, in the era of, uh, you know, like the seventies, especially when there was a lot of different, um, 
amalgamations of processes to exploring consciousness. And he would, he would right. look to these different teachers and sometimes be very dissatisfied with the results. And then sometimes he would find, um, interesting, relevant information. Um, I think the, the, t- the tapes that he made seem to have been influenced by some of these, um, teachers, especially in, in terms of like the repeating mantras and stuff. Um, but do you know what the, the co- coda, what, it, what is those tapes called? Um, shoot I'm yeah i'm forgetting the name of it right now but it's what robert anton wilson writes in cosmic trigger that he put on this john Lilly tape um right and, and to when he the one of the first times he did maybe peyote or something was it the beliefs unlimited tapes maybe yeah there's one specific one i i'm forgetting the name of it right now but it, it he's like basically doing these like tape loops and stuff where it kind of like breaks down the linguistics, um, into it's like deconstructing these, um, these processes to make you like create this illusory effect where you're just slipping away from these, um, you know, like any, any sort of meditation, I suppose. Um, right. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, there, there's some insane connections there, which I think we'll get into the whole solid state intelligence. Um, right. Cra- I mean, that's going to just break away into some crazy stuff. But I did want to talk, I guess we should talk about um, the dolphin stuff for a second and give it its yeah. due. Because it is certainly um, an important, profound experiment um, that they had going on for about a year. And it's a really interesting story. I mean, I think... I listened to some other podcasts talking about Lily and it seems like a lot of people concentrate on the dolphin experiment. I know there's like a drunk history thing right. about it. Um, yeah. And it's just kind of like, it, it's the, the perfect makings for like a vice article, you know? How right. This, and it's kind of just like, look at the kind of quirky seventies guy who was on acid all the time. and wanted to talk to dolphins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, so I feel like there's always an air of like kind of, uh mocking to it when yeah. people talk about jet like when that's like what but it was all it was kind of it felt like more of a a step in his path to like because i mean i guess the part of the government interest in that project was to map ways to or and the scientific interest was ways to map how to talk to aliens right exactly what well, start like carl sagan was extremely interested Right, Fra- um, Frank Drake. Yep, and <laughs> uh, and uh, so Lily essentially thought that we could communicate with dolphins, um, and uh, this woman Margaret Howe, um, she, her story is really really wild. Um, she she's they build this lab out at Saint Saint Thomas in the Car- Caribbean. Yeah. Is that what the what the island is or whatever? Uh, I think. That sounds familiar, and I know that it's like, you know, meters away from Little Little Saint James or whatever the Epstein Island. Yeah, make your own connections there, uh, right? But uh, yeah, so so they have this lab that's like um, at at basically a cove of um, one of the Caribbean islands. I think it's Saint Thomas, and uh, 
this woman, Margaret Howe, just kind of in this era of when you could, you just drifted around and, you know, you could just travel and go to places yeah. like, cause everything wasn't a million dollars. Yeah. And she just like, she, she kind of just like hears that there's this lab where they're working with dolphins and she's interested. She's not like a academic at all. She doesn't have right. any education in marine biology or even science for that matter. Um, I think she was like a theater person or something, huh. but, um, so she just kind of starts poking around and, and finally somebody gives her a tour and um, John Lilly kind of likes the way that she's interacting with dolphins and he's like, all right, well, you can take on this project um, where we're going to try and communicate with them. And she works with this young dolphin, Peter. There were three dolphins, the young dolphins, Peter. He yeah. was the only boy, um, essentially at an adolescent age, like coming into sexual growth. Um, and she, she made some weird progress where they definitely had a very, very complex form of mimicry in the end Yeah, where the dolphin is essentially, it's using its blowhole to like as lips, um, which is funny because like on the drunk history, they're basically like, well, a lot of people are like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really sound like English when the dolphin talks, like sometimes it kind of sounds like words and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. And on the drunk history, they're like, yeah, well imagine like being beamed up on a spaceship and they're like, all right, now talk to us in our language from your asshole. Right. <laughs> it's pretty like, <laughs> it's a pretty apt analogy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the dolphin could be like, hello, Mark. And right. it, it was, it seemed really hard for it to try and even mimic it using its blowhole. Cause it would have to kind of like take water in and, do all this stuff. Um, she eventually, uh, like some of the processes, they felt like there needed to be a very close bond because I guess porpoises and, and whales have like very close um, familial bonds. Obviously, they're pods mm. and stuff. Yeah. So they end up flooding this whole house and um, two floors and she sleeps in a bed surrounded by water and the dolphins next to her in the bed. Yeah. Uh, yada, yada. Um, the dolphins horny it like right. it's, you know like charging her um when she's trying to do her quote-unquote lessons um and she ends up like masturbating it in the end which is like the the, the comic right. end of this whole story um which is is insane um yeah <laughs> but um there is some some claims that are made that they would show the dolphin certain objects and it would be able to make the sound of the object that was shown. Mm. Um, which I guess, I mean, I'm not an expert obviously, but I mean, I'm not sure if that's still mimicry or if that is like making an intelligent distinction linguistically. Right. Um, yeah. It, it's interesting to me that they didn't try all that hard to like understand the dolphin language. Well, there was, there was a whole nother, there was a team of, um, Oh, was that a separate thing or what? Yeah. And they were, I forget their names now. Um, and they were quite appalled by the work that Lily was doing. Um, they were That's just right. trying to research yeah. like dolphin communications between the two. Yeah. Um, yeah. and try and understand like if they were sending each other messages when they would put like a barrier between them. Um, kind of more like conventional, uh, research in terms of like animal anthropology or something. I don't know. 
Yeah, that's right. Confusing my sciences here, but um, they yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lily wanted to give the dolphins acid. I think they did administer. I think they acid. did. I don't think it worked for them though. Or like right, right. I think they said like nothing happened. Uh, just because you know different drugs affect different species differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm not going to make the claim that we can talk to dolphins, um, but if we could, I think it's going to take more than one year of trying to teach them English, right. you know, to yeah. a young dolphin, like that, that yeah. kind of work, if it needed to continue at all, um, would have had to go on for a very much longer. Uh, and I know that Lily talked about, there were some, some, um, they were doing some voice synthesis too, trying to synthesize mm. human voices into the dolphin, vo- um, sounds right. maybe and stuff. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Um, yeah. I wonder if like, if that work could be ethically re-engaged, um, what it would amount to now. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's yeah. And then I guess after the dolphin stuff, he kind of gets more heavy into the LSD and ketamine stuff. Yeah. Well, he, uh, he has a, tr- he, he starts to like realize like, man, this is like, this is probably messed up um doing some right, messed and up then, stuff the, and one, the dolphin killed yeah. itself the dolphin the dolphin did kill itself by right. the way um they it got separated because like um the the people who were funding the research kind of got wind that it was like getting real wacky out there yeah yeah and they were like all right we need to take these dolphins to another facility and do some real testing on them and when they separated peter from margaret um and and took it to this other laboratory it it like drowned itself basically it didn't come up for air right which is wild and another caveat real quick which i think is fucking insane is that margaret howe lived in the dolphin house with her fa- she ha- she re- had and raised kids in that house <laughs> lived there for like 30 years <laughs> Yeah, that's nuts. What happened? You just freeze up. Yeah, you're like frozen. I froze for it's, a second. Yeah, isn't that it's, that's? Am I still frozen? I don't know. You're all glitchy, but um, yeah. I mean, to me, like this house that was once flooded that you lived in with a dolphin, and you're like masturbating him, and now you like they let the water out of the place, and you're gonna live there with your new husband and have like two kids there and raise them there. To me, is like. Yeah, it's insane. Really fucking wild. People are people are a bag. But uh <laughs> Yeah. Um anyway, so Lily has this this trip. I don't know if he 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 did acid and got in the tank with the dolphins or if he just had a float, but he basically said that like he had an experience with dolphins um basically communicating to him like on a on an astral realm, let's say, or something like that, right. you know, yeah, on yeah, a different yeah. realm, a realm that was not uh, our, you know, physical world, right. surrounding world. And then, and the, after Lily, the dolphins became like this huge thing in the new age mm-hmm. and like, you know, novels about like, it just became, and sci-fi too, just like dolphins became like, oh, they're like, just like people and, you know, like, yeah, it became like a cliche almost. Right. Like, I mean, there's, yeah. yeah, you listen to like some 
new age people talk on podcasts and stuff and i've heard stories where they're like this person was swimming and the dolphins came up and bobbed them with their nose and they they went to the doctor and they had a tumor there and you're like <laughs> there's crazy like new age stories like that and shit yeah um but then there, there's like tons of new age records that are like dolphin smiles and like right i love that stuff yeah, yeah like the dolphin orchestra and mm-hmm. it's just like it's just not it's not an orchestra it's just a piano but you know yeah um and of course there's a day of the dolphin the film which is based on um the main character is essentially essentially lily it's based on this whole experiment and uh it was originally supposed to be directed by roman polanski who strangely enough was uh scouting locations for this film when he was away um, and that's when Sharon Tate was murdered by the Manson family. So weird connection there. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is, I mean, yeah, in terms of the weird intelligence underworld kind of connections, that's a, that feels like a signpost of some kind. Yeah, there's tons of uh, Jolly and West and um, yeah. number nine, which we'll get to later in, in there. Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll thread that up. Uh, a little yeah. later um, um yeah that's crazy but there there was also that story like a couple of years ago with the um the russian dolphin that popped up in like finland or something and it had yeah. like an apparatus on it and they were right. using it to like um gather intel <laughs> like oceanic intel yeah i think i mean we were trying to do that during the cold war too like dolphin spies mm-hmm. um especially like for russian subs and like that kind of thing yeah and there's like that that uh that's that plot in johnny mnemonic as well with the right the dolphin's like a uh he's like a an admiral of the united states yeah, yeah, navy yeah. or something <laughs> yeah it's crazy yeah. um <laughs> yeah i think um maybe moving on from the dolphin stuff yeah let's Let's maybe get into like what where he went later with the uh, echo, which you know kind of calls back to dolphins, anyway, mm-hmm. but, but not about dolphins exactly. Right. So he um, he has this realization like through this. Um, he's probably administered like LSD and was in the float tank because he was doing tons and tons of float research still and writing about and that. Ketamine too. Yeah, cat. I think the cat gets introduced like a maybe a little bit later. Or, yeah, yeah. But um, so he he realizes that like this kind of research is unethical to the dolphins, and then he advocates that dolphins should have a seat in the United Nations. Um, right. Incredible. They're just like, yeah, like all we want is for you to stop putting plastic in the ocean. But anyway, <laughs> um, so he really moves heavy into. Um, mapping these different um, realms of consciousness um, and, you know, writes a book like I'm looking at here, Simulations of God, which is, uh, it's dedicated to Franklin Merle Wolf. Yeah. It's it's all about um, creating these frameworks of God, working through them. A lot of like what we talked about with Robert Anton Wilson, um, yeah, yeah, you know, and yeah. Well, I mean, Wilson's a big player in this too. Mm-hmm. 
uh, well, you know, not a big player, but he was heavily influenced by Lily and mentions him in like tons of his books. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the Lily thing, you can really approach it from a high strangeness perspective. Um, you know, connecting it to Dick, connecting it to, to Wilson, to the 23 thing, to Sirius. You know, there's all these angles, right? Oh, we're getting there. We're going to get there. Oh, we live there. We, uh, we do live there. <laughs> but so what? But yeah, no, yeah. What he, uh, what he came into contact with um, floating under the influence of ketamine was Echo, um, the Earth Coincidence Control Center. Um, which right. is like what we talk about with uh, sort of Jungian synchronicities and stuff and the importance we've put on synchronicities in so many conversations we've had so far. Right. Um, and they're trying to like communicate through, that's how they talk to us. They. Who's they? The Echo. The other. Yeah. Uh, the Earth Coincidence Control Office. Yeah, you know, the officers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the non-human intelligence or super right. intelligences of the earth coincidence control office are communicating through coincidences, letting you know they're there and letting you, um, giving you sort of breadcrumbs to follow, um, down these pathways of consciousness expansion. Um, and it's, it gets really into the, the star seed stuff, um, which we right. wrote about, and um, just kind of the idea that, you know, Earth is a place that grows larvae or larvae um, <laughs> and that we are the larvae like and we're supposed to butterfly into this cosmic consciousness, which is essentially the plot of 2001 <laughs> A Space Odyssey of becoming this, totally. the star child. It's so interesting because, I mean, well, for any of our listeners that read Jason Horsley's Prisoner of Infinity all this stuff kind of ties together into this like narrative that at least Horsley and, and some others are saying is kind of like uh it's like kind of anti-human like push towards like leaving your body, like becoming this like trying like focusing on becoming this like transcendent immortal being so that you don't have to worry about like how 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 much everyone fucks you over on earth. Like <laughs> you're poor and sick like, like you know it's like mm -hmm. they're they're basically connecting it to like i mean it depends on who's writing but like the cia like is uh pushing these uh new age ideas and and that's a pretty popular position right now for like the kind of like you know thread thread writers of twitter um right right, right. that a lot like a lot of these uh and i don't think it's wrong i just don't think it's and I think Lily kind of shows that it's not the whole story because I don't think that there's anything like, well, aside from what he, you know, I don't think there's anything like, what's the word? S like super malicious about Lily's research. I, but I think he may have been used, his ideas may have been used to further an agenda of like, yeah, I guess like societal dissociation kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a weird, um, it's tricky. It's yeah. a very, it's a very, um, complex thing that you're talking about there because um a i mean that is there's certainly a useful tool for providing escapism for a world which doesn't really have any vested interest in taking care of people as a society um right 
but I mean, you're not going to organize against, you know, quote, the elites, unquote, if you're like trying to further your own individual enlightenment, I guess is kind of the thrust of the criticism there, which is not wrong, but it's not, it's also not the whole, the whole picture. Cause there are like, there are ways to have solidarity and class, you know, consciousness within, within these movements as well. Mm-hmm. There certainly but, should be. Um, yeah. I think at the same time, the, the sort of body denial asceticism mm-hmm. comes like from the oldest religious traditions, the oldest mysticisms that we know of. Um, well, some, not, not the oldest, but some of them, I should say. Um, right. To, to varying degrees, like the transcendence of the body, you mean? Yeah. I mean, it's like a, yeah. it's a primordial. Right. Not, not <laughs> yeah. prim- primordial is not the right word, but... Uh, I feel like it's got to be like the second or third thought that a person has. It's like, oh, I'm in this body. Yeah. And then like pretty soon you're going to be like, I need to, I need to get out of this. <laughs> right. If um, anything, it's convenience for the agenda of the United States um, to have people engage it in a way that provides escapism um, and distraction. But I mean, that's more or less most things. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, I mean, Franklin that's Merrill why a lot of people, for Netflix, you know, like right. A lot of people both. say that, like, that's why they're pushing LSD in the '60s, like you know, all that. Oh, certainly, but, yeah. I mean, I I, that, I believe yeah. that totally. Um, a hundred percent true, but it's totally different than like, yeah, finding this like, <laughs> this like old man who lives like up in the mountains to like teach you how to transcend yourself. I don't think that's particularly useful to any kind of intelligence agenda. Mm-hmm. But the larger scale, you know, um, yeah, the, the like LSD or like, yeah, I don't know. It's like I mean, it can't, it big, can't, yeah, it can't be denied that um, you know, drugs and LSD side railed uh, the countercultural movement of the 1960s. I mean, I think that's uh, common yeah, knowledge and uh, consensus reality. Um, at the same time though i mean you know we don't we don't really have the privilege of knowing but we don't know what that picture would have looked like without psychedelics you know that's true and i mean even like i guess the whole thrust of uh well the book chaos sort of but other books and ideas as well is that like manson and that sort of whole thing was a way to i mean first it was the hippies and then it was Mm -hmm. Manson as a way to delegitimize the left movements uh, and make you afraid of people with long hair. I mean, right. just you, if you went like, I mean, it's like the plot of fucking easy rider, you know, like, right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's crazy stuff. Um, a side note real quick is I'm just about finished with this book concert of ghosts by uh, Campbell Armstrong, which is a pseudonym for an Irish writer. Uh, it's a pulpy mystery but it all tracks pretty close to this stuff it's like a there's like a character that is a dead ringer for uh you and cameron uh and it's all about like having your mind wiped and like all these shady military dealings having to do with like the hate ashbury movement and stuff like it's it's all about this kind of thing um if you're a fan of like david mcgowan's uh weird scenes book it's kind of like a and it's from the 90s too so it's kind of like a it's it's an interesting read and i wonder 
kind of where it came from, but I don't know. That's kind of, I just coincidentally picked that up and started reading it while we were looking into this, like, uh, this whole scene that ties into it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Yeah. I, um, shoot. I mean, I guess we could just get into it. Um, but I, I just, I wanted to reiterate, like, I love fucking the way that Lily writes about these spaces of consciousness. And, you know, I totally. think the, like echo, his echo is sort of like his, um, his ultra consciousness of his story. But I, he's understanding that these are just like linguistic systems that he's applying, I think. And I think that right. he also understands that like, you know, language is the way to um, incite people into higher realms of consciousness or, you know, so I think he's, he's almost creating his own um, the, theism, like, like loose theism, you know, to get people interested in these things and, and try and learn how to perform this metaprogramming stuff. Um, right. I, there's some, he's got some funny stories though. There was one that I was thinking of where he is talking about this trip he had and his, the earth, the earth coincidence control office, um, removes his penis and shows it to him. And he's like, who's running things up there? A bunch of crazy kids. And then he's like, goes through and understands why, um, they might show him that process. And it was like relevant to, you know, whatever experience he was having at the time. Um, Visit patreon.com slash consensus on reality for exclusive episodes and content. But yeah, he he has this insane he has this insane vision. Um in one float when he was on ketamine where he sees these two strange attractors that exist in our futures and this is going to sound like a really familiar story um we're pulling this all from this this blog post on meta um meta pho real metaphorial um and this black yeah, post, post is all about these c- crazy, crazy connections of this time. And it's, it's really, this is a great place to end season one because we kind of can really yeah. make threads between almost every episode we've spoken about safe for maybe Bigfoot, but I'm sure there's something there. I, there must be somewhere. Yeah. But, um, this, this all takes place in, in 73 and 74. Um, which is just this really, really hypersensitive period of time for high strangeness um, with these yeah. important figures. Um, 
who are kind of just like entrenched and uh, forever will be associated with the history of um, this, this, these topics, the paranormal um, consciousness research and all that. Yeah. Um, so Lily, yeah, he, he encounters these two strange attractors um, from our futures. Um, one of them is the solid state intelligence, which is essentially like, this is a really crazy idea. And this is where I don't think that this is psyopy because I feel like John Lilly was so ahead of his time in developing these ideas and so intelligent right. in terms of like neuroscience, but also computational languages that we're developing. And, and that and the SSI, the solid state intelligence, it's kind of prefiguring that whole Rocco's basilisk thing, right? For sure. I mean, it's essentially like how in the matrix, um, the machines, uh, we begin to let them in and they basically um, weevil their, themselves around the planet um, and then they lower the temperature of the planet um, to what is preferable to them and then essentially they get rid of people because they don't really need people anymore. Um, but then further than that, they separate Earth right. from its... Uh, it's gravitational pull around the sun and start right, to move earth. Yeah. Around cruise around the, the soul around the, the universe looking for other solid state intelligences, which are essentially these co-opted planets. Of right. Earth. It's like Borg. Yeah. Kind of. the, it is exactly like the Borg. Yeah. Um, so that's one, one possible future for us, I guess. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of it, it has the interesting implications that these solid state intelligences would reach into our past and influence us right. now um, right in order to 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 bring themselves into being which is where the the basilisk thing comes in that or yeah. which is where um, ets come in and there's the right. the, the grays the, yeah the theory that the grays are representing the are like biomech um uh, humanoid robots because they right. they're created by the solid state intelligence to um, for us because we could only interact with something that also had two legs two arms and a head and they give us these technologies which progress us faster and further into inducting this solid state intelligence into our lives right. and like making it so crucial which totally. is funny because I'm just surrounded by like two computers a Kindle and a iPhone yeah. right now, you know, and it's like we really are totally we're uh, on the way embedded in but, the grain, yeah. But at the same time, so and and that's kind of like it kind of makes you almost like I want to be like a luddite or something because it's like these te- like we're just like on this crash course with like self annihilation via SSI, but at the same time we have this uh, ECCO echo the coincidence control office that's trying to sort of pull yes. us in that direction mm-hmm. uh but in this much subtler kind of like yeah this very strange way yep a little airier kind of like it's kind of like ethereal yeah yeah sure. like what do they want they, they want they want the opposite of what what the other side wants it's yeah. a little do it's kind of gnostic almost it's certainly gnostic um and i think the the echo i mean until you come in contact with them it almost seems a little convoluted like the space brothers stuff of uh yeah 
of the the early contactee movement. Um, but then when you hear somebody like Grant Morrison talk about his experiences with um, ETs and stuff, it, it, re- it reminds me a lot of uh, Lily's Echo experiences. Totally. Um, Even my like limited, and I think maybe I've mentioned like my several kind of strange like it all it does it's more in line with with like the echo like this very sort of it's hard to pin down it's like they're not like uh walking into it's not like meeting injured cold kind of thing if that makes mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. Uh, for our mothman fans out there yeah um and uh, yeah i guess like some ai scientists are saying that we have about 50 years before computing power will approach the processes of the human brain. So that's not implying consciousness, but it's implying processes, which means that it right. could handle the amount of processes which our brain are computing. Like the, the pure simu- power, kind of, right? Yeah, simultaneously. Which is crazy, because yeah, yeah, yeah. it is like millions of things we're in, intaking through our perception, our windows of perception at all times. Right, Sensory totally. perception. And we're just filtering out the... Uh, the ones that we don't aren't don't feel the need to concentrate on, which is kind of amazing because we find ourselves bored so often. Right. um, It's, I mean, this is just really wild because um, the echo communicates with humanity through coincidences. um, And I guess they, when you get pulled further in, they'll make this sort of direct contact with certain people. Yeah. Um, But there's really insane sinks that start to happen especially in this year here um 73 yeah 73 and 74 um you have all the eerie geller stuff um right the nine the nine uh and this um parapsychologist andrija puharik who's um working with Yuri geller and writing all this stuff about the nine um it's really like a channeling kind of thing and yeah, but like, and then Puhark and uh, Geller both have like their own intelligence connections, so they're like kind of very popular in that in that milieu of like, what were they really up to? Right, right. And then there's kind of like an implication too of like they they start this school um, where they're right. like working with it's called lab nine and they're working with space kids or geller kids and it's like well how the fuck did they get these kids um and and what we know through mk ultra now is that like they were taking (sighs) orphans and troubled kids and like administering acid and stuff which is really really dark and insane um but there's a bit of connections with the nine to the ennead of egyptian deities um which is essentially like the family, the core family of the Egyptian mythology, um, which is uh, which is like uh, you know whatever. It's like um, Horus and and uh, all right, those, yeah, the right. Cyrus and all them. Yeah, not to be confused with the Plotinus, uh, Plotinus Enneads. Yeah, and then which are yeah yeah. And then it really goes, it, it really wraps close to the serious mystery that we spoke about um, in a past episode. That's right. Um, <laughs> which is, it's just insane because Wilson, Robert Anton Wilson 
takes LSD on June 6th, 1973. He uses um, Lily's subliminal affirmation tapes, uh, which we spoke about earlier, that encourage the limitless mind. Um, and he he's also incorporating, of course, um, Aleister Crowley's invocations of the Holy Guardian Angel into this session. Um, Wilson, on July 22nd, repeats the program and the next morning he has a dream where he's obsessed with the star Sirius, which we spoke about on our Sirius episode. Right. July 23. 23 is obviously the number associated with Sirius. Um, and then he consult, consults all of his uh, references and he discovers that in the Egyptian tradition, of course, July 23rd is the day when Sirius exerts its strongest connection with earth and our consciousness and then he begins to believe that he was contacted by ETs from Sirius. Right. Um, <laughs> which is, oh, man. And then, of course, yeah, you have the Starseed stuff um, by Timothy Leary, which happens in 1973, which is essentially like the same idea um, of the echo thing. Right. Which is like that echo would be growing humans into these cosmic consciousnesses. Um, and then, uh, you know, of course you, you end with, uh, Vallis, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, Phil K. Dick, who we spoke about on our second to last episode. And yeah. And I guess, I mean, McKenna isn't really mentioned as much in this, but he had sort of similar experiences in his own way. Yeah. When's La Terrera? I forget. Oh, I would be interested to see. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's definitely in the 70s. Let me see real quick. Yeah, I mean, this this whole, this contact sync to these people who aren't just, it's not like the contactees we talk about really often, um, where it's kind of people just like, you know, getting these bewildered contact experiences and they're like... right well, this, it was that, or it was this. And it's, it, it kind of becomes like these very simple or, or not simple, but like they, they fit the, um, mythologies of the past. Like the, the space brothers thing almost seems like angelic contacts, you know, yeah. and then there's the gray myth, but contacting these people with this same sort of like realm um, of idea, which I know that it all germinates from the same, like they all knew of each other's work. Yeah. So there was kind of already like an interfacing going on between them. Yeah. But at the same time, like these independent um, contacts happening in the same year, all with a relative backstory is, is just really crazy. It is. And yeah, I was just looking at this, uh, uh, that article I mentioned earlier, and I think a good kind of quote is that uh, Lily, he, he took the sort of techniques of mind control that he was kind of working towards, these very nefarious things, but reimagined them and uh, tried to apply them to, uh, you know, freeing the self and like liberating the mind from the brain kind of almost, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, even though he started in these like military mind control, terrible, like 
in that little world, uh, it ended up kind of, you know, like like with Leary, I mean, people think Leary was CIA till he died. And so it's hard to, you know, I mean, and there's okay evidence for that. Uh, but with Lily, it's, it's different. And there's, you know, reason to believe he just stepped away from it. And for some reason, like, you know, just lived and was fine. Yeah. Um, he just got like maligned in scientific communities, but right. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, it's hard with Leary too, because I think Leary's work is really important, especially in terms of the, the meta programming Right. Stuff. It is. And the eight circuit model and all that yeah. is very similar to Lily's work. And they were obviously aware of each other, probably. Yeah, um, I imagine they influenced each other quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he, he's but, just as like checkered, where it's hard for me to say, like, oh, he's CIA. He's not CIA. He got pinched and he got made an example of. And then he did. But initially, his work was, was heavily monitored by, of course, intelligence anyway, you know? Right, For and all the he was we're talking about. I mean, there's pretty good evidence that he was doing drug experiments for like MK Ultra type stuff. Um, well, now, now if you trace the money, yes, but back then, like right. they, if you look at the graphs of how they funneled their money, like people yeah. probably didn't know and also didn't really care to know. Like they probably had, oh yeah, ideas, but they right. were like, where did this come from? What is this grant foundation like? Right, it's not. It's, a it's not always way. saying like, yeah, it's not always saying like this person is like a CIA agent who knows what's up, like, and is like this nefarious, like string puller. It's more like, yeah, they don't like people don't always know who they're working for, like in the grand scheme. Yeah. So they might not be like personally like, you know, like uh, Angleton type like characters where they're like these like amoral like murderer like spies often they're just like quirky scientists whose work ends up down the line being used to like uh reprogram people like and like fuck with like any scientist basically there's no like i mean fucking right but i think look at einstein the manhattan project like came just like a couple years after (laughs) the general theory of relativity i mean he was yeah he was directly involved in that stuff i mean science itself has a huge problem with this because because of funding i mean the only Uh, reason i say this is because i think there's kind of a trend of like this new conspiratorial threading that's going on 100 percent. it's like it's making these connections and it's like, you know what? That's, it's really interesting to look at things and see what the coincidences may be and, and, and how there might be connections, you know, but I think in making generalizations and inferences about the past without contextualizing it is something that I always want to be, um, want to have my eye on, you know? Totally. Cause I I do think it's like important to always contextualize, um, how complex things actually were and how, sure. you know, shady intelligence is, you know, and how hard they are to, um, and how hard they were to pin down, you know? Right. Yeah. No, it's never like, uh, yeah. When I, if I say someone is like, you know, like maybe was CIA or something, it's not always like, yeah, that person was like walking down the street with like a business card that said so in, in their wallet it can be way more fuzzy than that. And I think it almost always was, especially for these people that 
were like these cultural figures. Uh, yeah. The first. And you know, like it was a death sentence for their re- reputation. If like somebody said that, like, mm-hmm. so, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's totally, uh, not a clear situation, but I do think the connections are important to make. I mean, I think it's important to have the whole picture for, for sure. sure. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, uh, take a brief detour back to our good friend uh greg bateson and a an encounter he had with uh a certain famous poet so can Alan you, give us the background on bateson first the quick the sure, short yeah. the short of it <laughs> bateson was oss uh demonstrably like the documents are there doing black propaganda for the uh, so you know, basically, uh, broadcasting propaganda, saying it was from the enemies, like do it, like you know, uh, yeah, what do you call it, like psychological warfare type stuff. And he was an anthropologist. He came up with these two very important anthropological ideas: uh, the double bind and schismogenesis. Um, both of which sort of generally have to do with feedback loops and how people interact. And I mean, I'm not going to explain both of them here. Uh, There are very detailed Wikipedia pages on both concepts, but Bateson was also part of this human potential movement. He, you know, he taught at uh, Esalen and that sort of thing. But Mm -hmm. before that, yeah, he was OSS and there's sketchy information about his involvement with CIA, but considering it was the direct descendant of OSS, you can imagine there might be something there. It's hard to say, but um, Bateson did indeed uh, get LSD from a CIA contractor named Harold Abramson. And uh, Bateson in turn helped his friend, uh, Allen Ginsberg, take the drug at a research thing located at Stanford. So maybe SRI. Um, yeah. And, and Ginsberg reacted so badly. Uh, he, he had this terrible experience where he was in this uh, little like doctor's room and he was, he, he felt quote, he was being connected to big brother's brain. And he had a slight paranoia that hung on all of his acid experiences through the mid sixties until he learned to meditate, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. Um, and this is from John Marx's book, uh, the search for the Manchurian candidate, which is kind of like, I mean, one of the better, uh, books on MK ultra it's much older. It's a, it's a vintage book at this point, but it's like a really good source text on, uh, how intelligence in America was trying to, uh, get this shit together. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, Bateson's such a fascinating character. Um, Esalon too is is so weird because it's like, so crazy. That place pops up in a lot of the history, and and even like coursing through, like Lily was in, heavily involved there in the seventies, um, right? T- you know, teaching seminars and and being involved with seminars, um, and it's yeah. just it's one of these places that is like probably birthed like the whole ideologies that um you know are around in silicon valley now a lot of them and stuff and generated a lot of that 
Right. Yeah. It's the whole, the whole human potential thing. Uh, Michael Murphy, I think is the, one of the founders and he, he has written some, he has a really interesting book called Jacob Adabet, which is a novel kind of like illustrating what the idealized form of this human potential movement might be like for an individual who like taps into the true power of the human mind. Mm. It's kind of like a sci-fi retro version of that across between like altered states and that, that movie limitless. <laughs> uh, that book is really oh great. God. That sounds twisted. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that's like the milieu that uh, Lily was kind of in, although I, uh, yeah. Um, he definitely was more of a hard scientist than like Bateson, who was an anthropologist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's he. He's got probably one of the the most fascinating stories um, in terms of you know any like I would I would rather see a, a film about John Lilly, like about like an actual biographical film film yeah. series probably rather see that than like mckenna or oh yeah um, robert anton wilson or yuri geller There's, yeah we've seen those before like yeah but no one's really gone all in on lily yet the stories are just insane the connections are insane right. and uh like i said like just how he maintained like this like scientific articulation throughout the whole thing writing these brilliant books Right. Um, until the end of his life, I mean, it's it's a really, he's such a fascinating character. Man, speaking of the end of his life on YouTube, there's a great <laughs> a great video of his 85th birthday party. Oh my god! Yeah, it is like this. I think it's from like '99 or 2000. It's just like it's just so of its time. Like this, yeah. like it's in Maui, I think, and it's just like all these like tripping like goofballs. Like it looks like they're gonna cut like the camera at one point and like Paris Hilton's going to be in a corner, just like talking to somebody. <laughs> it's very funny. Um, so that's some yeah. bongos and shit. He doesn't really even figure into it all that much. He's just like this extremely old man, like sitting there with like women around him. Yeah. 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 He like says uh, something, but I don't know. Yeah. He's great. Um, and there are like, there aren't that many lectures of his. There's like, I found like three solid ones. He's very hard to understand. Um, no, I don't know. In his lectures? Because of the recording quality, at least in my experience. Yeah, the recording quality on, on a lot of them really sucks, at least on YouTube. You yeah, so, but you can, all, you can kind of, you, you get the gist, and some of them you can do like the YouTube subtitle type thing. But uh, you, know what's, you know what's insane? I wanted to tell you in that, in that fucking metaphorial um blog post or metaphorial.com um the dude who temple got the original inspiration for the serious mystery which we talked about yeah on our serious episode was um arthur young the inventor of the bell helicopter right um and that guy 15 years earlier collaborated with andrija puharik on the original nine sessions in maine in which they channeled yeah. the nine insane yeah number nine number nine. that's crazy oh my god yeah yeah the connections between all these things for me either lead to like the conclusion that they're like 
and I don't want to believe this, they're like these elaborate hoaxes kind of like perpetrated to like create a new mythology for the counterculture mm-hmm. or, you know, they're products of the, you know, uh, coincidence control office. There's certainly some wacky coincidences going on. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, there's some really know. weird threads with this stuff. Um, yeah, I joked before, but it's like on the white album, it's Helter Skelter and then Revolution Number Nine, which is the the sort of like notch that Manson found himself in listening to the white album, to which right. he apparently devised the Helter Skelter. If you believe that narrative, um, right? If you believe the the Bugliosi line on it, but mm-hmm. I mean, either way, Helter Skelter did become. It became the Manson song, kind of. What well, I mean, uh, Revolution yeah. Nine follows it after, and that's the right. Uh, number, yeah, the one that Daniel Johnson was so obsessed with, and like he also had like a maddening experience with it. I mean, there's like these just these totems that keep arising, you know? Yeah, uh, totally. It's it's maybe, all a mystery. Maybe we're being contacted by intelligent um, beings from Sirius, you know? Well, listen, man, we're at like an hour and 25 minutes. I feel like, you know, the general, like, a lot of the information that's actually in Lily's books is so revelatory and it's yeah. like a personal mythology. And I kind of feel like I'm not really sure how to even approach talking about that stuff more than the echo thing, but there is a ton, ton more. And, and I think... Right. He sort of realized that he was imposing these linguistic mythological programs on himself and the world. Um, but he's he's one to check out for sure. I mean, yeah, there's just you gotta. there's some really insane stuff. Um, he's yeah, he's one of the big. He doesn't often get put in the same category, but he's like you know, if you're gonna read stuff about these countercultural, high weirdness, high strangeness icons, I think him. Dick, McKenna, uh, Wilson, Leary, Leary, Burroughs. I think, but I think Lily uh, belongs to be right at the top of that list. Yeah. He's uh, well, culturally. Like, I think they were also very much involved with each other. Um, and for That's that true. reason, they're, they they're were, kind of a click. Yeah, they were a click. And they may have been instrumental in um, getting each other's work out there. Um, for better yeah. or for worse, to be co-opted and weaponized. For sure. Huh. I, w- I mean, it would be awesome to think about how like someone like Sun Ra figures into this kind of, uh, um, this kind oh of thing. Oh my God, that's really funny you mentioned that actually because I was thinking, I've been reading the David Toop Exotica book. Um, yeah, yeah. I like It's hard for me with the podcast, obviously, since we're reading about this stuff so much to find time to read yeah. things that aren't involved, but I've been reading this David Toop Exotica book for a while. Um, and it's like one of my favorite music books I've ever read. Um, also because I, I, I like tiki music and I, you know, can understand that there's the, the weird simulacra of it is strangely yeah, no, I've, beautiful. I've gotten into it too, since you mentioned it. Yeah. With it's like checkered, strange checkered problematic yeah. Um, partially problematic histories and stuff, but it's also, I mean, like these composers creating these 
strange, um, non-existent lands through their music by trying to imagine other places in this like weird exotic fantasy. It's anyway, kind of impossible, like something that couldn't happen after after globalism. Yeah. I mean, it does kind of weirdly tie in because uh, Sun Ra, um, who apparently was a contactee, had his own contactee yeah. experience, he was not influenced, or he was vocal about saying that he wasn't influenced by other jazz composers. He was influenced by like Les Baxter and huh. a lot of the Exotica musicians and the stereophonic yeah. um, musicians and composers doing the weird like non-cinema cinematic kind of right. things of the time. Um, and that whole music is sort of a result of like, obviously you have the, um, not to go too deep into the whole Tiki Exotica thing, but like you have obviously like the, all the soldiers coming back from war and all that stuff. But then also the popularization of like underwater recordings through like folkways mm. and stuff heavily yeah. informed, like a lot yeah. of the music. And, and um, <laughs> it's interesting to think about because with Lily's research, so much of, um, so much of the dolphin research is hydrophonic recordings, underwater right. recordings, you know? Yeah. So there is this weird thread <laughs> that like circles back to like it 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 has so many um nodes into culture, you know. All right, these things are obviously connected, but you can make oh, some really like interesting a, connections there. Is there a serious aspect to Sun Ra? I feel like I might be making it up in my memory of my when I was like a few years ago like really digging into his uh discography. I know there's like, uh, well, I think it's like a, you know, like like anybody else, he was creating a mythology through right. performance. Right. I just can't remember if, yeah, I just can't remember if Sirius came into it. Um, oh, is there a serious element? Right. I think yeah, you're no, asking no. me if it's serious or no. I know he's serious. Yeah. <laughs> no, serious. Uh, the dog star. Dude, I'm sure. Actually, yeah. man. I think it it must because there's so much like Egyptian symbolism in that stuff. Right, that's what I was thinking and Yeah. That was like I mean, he was still around and composing around the time of like, there's serious the, mystery, right? Like Maybe not. I don't remember. Well, I mean it's called out. Ra, like Sun right. Ra. There has to I be know. a serious <laughs> connection. Yeah. Um, people are probably jazz heads are probably listening or just like screaming out a track or something. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I like Sun Ra. I actually just haven't, I have a couple records. Uh, I just haven't yeah, listened yeah. in a while. Yeah. Um, same. So I can't remember if there's, I'm sure there has to be though. Yeah. Yeah. He has I, an enormous, uh, discography. So it's kind of, yeah. Yeah. There's, I got a great, early one years ago actually now it's probably fucking 10 years ago but it's like it's from like the late 50s um and it's like spoken word with very like sparse instrumentation and it's like really really crazy and profound sounding it's awesome yeah i had a i had a book of his his poems uh in the shop a while back but i didn't spend all that much time with it now i'm regretting that but yeah, anyway, uh, maybe it's raffle time. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. We um, we did a giveaway raffle on Instagram, which is kind of unfair to people that don't use Instagram. We'll try and make it more broad next time. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll just do it on the podcast next time, but then it'd be funny if nobody followed through with it. It's also right. kind of a hard way. To, yeah, we'll we'll try and do one on next season. We'll try and do one on the pod for sure. Right. So, but yeah, we we did it on Instagram this time, just as a kind of little thing at the end of our season here, and we chose the winners using a random number generator. Yeah. Um. So you got the names over there. Yeah. Um. I guess Chill, we're, <laughs> we're just going to read the, out the handles. <laughs> yeah, the handles, which is kind of awkward. Uh, handles or the sort of uh, display name. Uh, I mean, should we first... even do Is this like like a... Is, is this, this weird? Like giveaway doxing? Are we doxing these people <laughs> and that's what they win? <laughs> Damn. I don't even know. Uh, yeah, yeah. You win like a, a dox. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm like, I don't understand the... He's, this, maybe we should just DM them. Yeah, I feel like I'm overthinking the ethics <laughs> of it. Maybe. Uh, yeah, this is because this is going to be there for posterity. This will be a funny way to end the episode. <laughs> so. uh, well, we'll just to the three winners. We're just going to send you a, a DM, <laughs> uh, and that's season oh one. God, we're so, so we're such messes. Like. We're obviously, it's been really, really fun doing this. We're like, we're not great at the um, whole self-advertising element, yeah, like hard. the promotional marketing stuff. Um, yeah, so if you want to do any uh, charitable marketing work. Yeah, yeah, us let us know. <laughs> um, we're definitely, that's not our inclination at all. Um, yeah. It's a work in progress um, for sure. But we are looking to expand this thing and get it out there. And, you know, I think like one of the things I was thinking about with season two is how my vision, my quote unquote vision for this is to be more than just a podcast, you know, like to engage with people because it's it's really great doing these research episodes like we just did. And of course, the interviews are incredible yeah um but yeah i don't know like i want to because i I personally listened to podcasts for like 10 years before i started engaging it and like taking the stuff that i listened to and like doing stuff with it you know yeah yeah so i think maybe people seeing us like creating some processes for ourselves and doing some experiments maybe that'll get other people messing with some stuff and we can open up these conversations more um, right. I'd love to, to have some kind of like asynchronous call in type thing happen. Mm-hmm. Or, or just like, yeah, some kind of further uh, conversation with uh, instead of just only formal interviews that take up a entire episode, maybe a little bit some more like modular kind of approach to sure. crowdsourcing. I mean, you know, these are all just kind of spitballing ideas. But yep. Yep. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, th- we're going to look into ways to. Uh, expand it out of just sort of like the two main modes that we're currently working in. But I think we have to keep those going as well. Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, I, I love doing the pod. It's just, we're trying to think about what else, how can we make this more than just that? Um, 
Yeah. How can we interact in uh what's the right word? How can we interact in I don't know, just in a different way. Um Yeah. You know, and we'll try and do we obviously we've been wanting to try and do a live stream for a long time. Um which I think will right. be a really cool way to have people messaging us and all that crap yeah. while we're on the air. Um, you know, yeah, yeah we, the interaction I think is important to this whole thing. Um, people sharing experiences and yeah, uh, we really uh, appreciate hearing from all of you. Um, yeah, it's great to get like messages on Instagram and stuff. Yeah. Uh, your feedback, your, your conversation, your experiences, messing with stuff. Yeah. Um, so, I guess we'll be taking a short break after this one, and then we'll be back with, we have a few interviews lined up, a few potential areas of research. Uh, yep. And if you and, really, really yeah. appreciate what we do, um, definitely consider joining up on that patreon.com slash consensus on reality. We will not be taking a break there. Right. Um, we'll still be doing some some of that stuff that we're talking about now um, in terms of video uh, Q&As and, and the the writing that we're doing now is is really sort of interactive in terms of um, these, this whole composite ritual process that we've been developing, which is kind of yeah. like an actualization of a lot of the topics that we've been talking about um, on the main. Um, right. And that's something that it, it kind of, it starts to get into that more personal level for us, um, which is something we're going to start interacting with. So, yeah, I mean, we've got to recommend yeah. checking that out. Um, we still got some tote bags left. If you're interested in picking one up, um, they're really cool. They were printed in Philadelphia. Um, yeah. Designed by me. And they feature um, Fave of the Pod. Carl Allen, Carl, Carlos right. Allende of the Philadelphia <laughs> Experiment. Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, we still have some of those left. That okay. is, We'll be I'm, doing some more other merch soon, too. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have uh, a mascot named Hoaxy. Right. Yeah, well, haven't decided what he is yet, though. Yeah. That could, get, uh, that could get bad. Yeah, that could get bad. <laughs> He's a... Uh, He's a coronavirus particle. I'm just kidding. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, uh, boy. Jo- that's where it gets bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um. that's it. That's episode 25, and that's season one in the books of Consensus Unreality. We yeah, we'll really appreciate you, uh, you guys listening. And we'll be back soon. All right. See you guys.